0: Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest FinTech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes.
1: Hello everyone and and thank you for listening to another edition of the FTF Exchange podcast series. Today we've got time with Roland Brandley, Strategic Product Manager for Smartstream Air and TLM Aurora, and we're going to discuss Roland's work at Smartstream, including the uh, TLM Aurora Trade Process Control offering, also known as TPC, which won the FTF Award for the Best New Post-Trade Solution. So hello, Roland, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at SmartStream
2: and and where you are today. Uh, Hi, and thank you for having me. I expect the most important part of my work today is to accept an award in the name of the women and men who dedicate so much of their time to building our product Um, because it's not down to me. Um, My job is really to coordinate their talents and to make sure that we provide products that are fit for the future, that incorporate the newest technology, but especially that meet um, the demands of our wide customer portfolio that we have at SmartStream.
1: So where did the impetus for for the trade process control offering come from? Who suggested it?
2: Well, I think it came out of a couple of things. The first one is we've known for many years um, through our platforms like TLM Premium that especially in the capital markets, there is a big issue around trade process control, especially internally within banks because they have multiple trading systems, multiple um, payment systems, multiple uh, portfolio management systems, and and coordinating them has always been a challenge. But ultimately, um, one of the main drivers came from a customer of ours who is a substantial fund um, fund manager and they had always outsourced their entire back company to a company they'd created 30 years ago they weren't happy anymore with the actual quality but the issue they had is because everything was outsourced they couldn't put their finger on where things were lacking and so they came to us and asked if we could help them and we said yes we could We could give them the visibility of those trading processes in an automated fashion. But even more importantly, we could actually join up that process because obviously they need to feed a fund administrator in the background. And that doesn't work if you have a manual process. So that's really where it came from. The other side of it was we, we saw that in the very big banks, you have this problem of those multiple internal systems, but you're not really addressing the issue where the risk arises. The risk arises always between the internal and the external side. And so especially for the smaller, for the buy side companies, that is where they actually um, need to put controls. So we thought, why don't we put in a trade process control that addresses the area of being of interest which is where the risk arises internal against external uh, and so that's what we did
1: and and then there is the as you mentioned um, external and internal there is the internal side of it right so are financial services firms more willing now to to de-silo their operations than before and if so uh, what's
2: driving that change <clears throat> Well, definitely, I I think D silo is the only way to go Um, apart from regulators gradually pushing into that direction. I think the biggest change is we are now in the middle of a process of transferring to instant. So up until now, this has been always something that we've talked about in the industry, but fundamentally the last two years and the pandemic have changed something and that is all customers have become digital they you know even the people who were preferring bricks and mortar shops or cash money to contactless payments they now had to acclimatize to using things digitally from home and so the customer's expectation has changed with that with that he expects what all fintechs offer or, or try to offer, and that is that instant experience. And so you can only achieve that if you de-silo. You cannot achieve that if you have to go through X amount of silos, X amount of processes where people have to actually still have manual touch points. So I think, you know, apart from it being where we want to go, it's also now it will, it is being driven by the customer's expectations. I mean, I remember once, actually, it was quite interesting talking to the CEO of a bank, and he was, we were having a cup of coffee, and he was explaining to me, oh, this morning I was trying to sell my Bitcoin, and I was pressing on the button, and pressing on the button, and pressing on the button, and I sat there, and I said, yeah, but, you know, if, if I'm a client using your trading, or, or your equities trading platform, I know that when I press the button, that it just goes into a queue, okay until the order is actually executed yeah so i can't press the button at the price that i'm seeing on the screen i have to press the button and then hope i get near that price by the time it's executed and it shows that even the people in the banks their expectations have changed because ideally what he wanted was i've seen the price of bitcoin is so high i want to sell now mm-hmm. yeah i'll let the bitcoin discussion go to another day <laughs> you know, the cryptocurrencies are really currently just another asset. It's another asset. Class just the example of how the expectation suddenly differs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's certainly gotten a lot of attention. So during the uh, pandemic lockdowns, and and then the period afterwards, uh, many operations people have had to uh, work remotely. Did this compel firms to see their post-trade operations in a new light? And, and did that help
2: with uh, TPC, I think to be frank, we're not at that stage yet where everybody is actually, you know, doing lessons learned because a lot of people were just concentrating on running their operations correctly. Mm-hmm. But I think what we will see is it is compelling. Um, again, you know, working from home has completely different aspects, also in terms of security. Especially in things where trading is, you see a lot of spreadsheets being used in the back office or in the middle office. Um, Now that's fine when you're in the actual building of a bank. Now we're talking about potentially using those spreadsheets at home. That's a completely different kettle of fish because that's not necessarily data that you want to have lying around. And then you want the audit trails and all those things. So we are seeing that a lot more people are now discussing about you know moving away from those Excel or, or, or spreadsheet-based things, really to putting proper control processes in place. So yeah, I think we, we've seen already the first start, definitely, but I think we'll see a lot more happening in that space. Um, and especially again, you know, when it comes to equities, when it comes to trades, it's also about You know, even about people walking in, you know, wives or or, or relatives walking in when certain delicate information is on the screen. Now, that's not a good place to be. So I think, you know, that's definitely taken a different look, gives people a different view on things than to what they previously had. Yeah.
1: So what are are some of the uh, typical first steps for firms that adopt uh, trade process control?
2: I think the biggest thing is to understand, first of all, what sort of asset classes are you going to be using? Um, Do you limit it to equities, bonds, things like that? Or do you want to expand it also to things like foreign exchange, money market, derivatives? And then it's also a question of how deep do you want to go into the granularity? So we offer, you know, combining up to about six different life cycles together. So that could go from trade instruction confirmation through to settlement instruction confirmation, transactions, holdings, but it also could include the payment cycles. And so I think the first thing is to understand how much automation do you want, and where do you get the data from, and what are the um, asset classes you want to incorporate. I mean, afterwards, it's really just a question of setting that up um, because What we basically do is based on that information, we will make sure that at each stage of the process, the data is correct. And once we have verified that it is correct, we will then take that data and enrich it with what it needs to be enriched, such as settlement instructions or payment instructions, and pass it on to a system um, to actually execute that next step. If there's a problem, when we are verifying the data, there's an exception management layer where you can manage those exceptions. But the entire idea is to get that straight through processing based on verified data. And that is really the difference. So again, an interesting discussion with a client that actually you know, had a post-go live meeting, and one of the gentlemen there said, well you know before when we were servicing our customers once they gave us the trade instruction we always had sort of 40 minutes to fix things if they were wrong now it goes through in less than a minute yeah Uh, and you know actually his own COO answered and said yeah but it only goes through in a minute because it's correct if there's a problem it's flagged to you and you still have that time to fix it hopefully you don't take that long Mm-hmm. right but it completely changed the mindset um and that's fascinating when you see that sort of change coming into organizations well I mean the uh, uh,
1: these firms are under great pressure right so they are indeed uh, yes and they're risk averse oddly enough risk averse on one side and others embrace risk um <laughs> yeah.
2: and, and we have both sides of the equation so if you look at a, <clears throat> a fund manager you know, for them, such a solution is great because they can impose control, they can manage their SLAs, etc. cetera. But they obviously have a completely different margin base. And um, when we look at it, that we've implemented also a fund administrator who is a pure service provider, you know, their, their business model, their, their commercial model is completely different. So it's interesting to be able to apply the same process, but into those differing types of aspects and commercial models. And
1: approximately how long does it take uh, most uh, financial services firms to implement uh, uh, trade process control?
2: It really depends on the complexity. You know, that could be anywhere from two, three months to a much bigger thing. You know, again, we have a, a fund administrator servicing 15 clients. Yeah, that's a much bigger project because there's a lot more asset classes involved, et cetera. Um, but ultimately because we, look at it from the internal to the external side mainly, you know, if people are using standardized message sets like Swift, ISO 20022, you know, that implementation time can you know can be really quite quick. Now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it also depends on how much automation do you want in the exception management because we can automate a huge amount in the exceptions. But it's a question how much do you want to automate or how much do you want to Take on yourself by us delivering you the know how, or how much do you want to engage us into it to do it for you? So, all of those things do play a role. But I think ultimately, the important thing is we try to keep in our world of Aurora immer- always to standards um, to make the implementation as light as is possible.
1: And it, it's interesting that you said yeah. that standards um, sort of hasten the process. Yeah, it does.
2: Um, you know, being in this business for 25 years, whilst some people you know, find, say, organizations like Swift or Fix or Omgeo expensive, um, there is one huge benefit, and that is because they're not proprietary, because they're standards, um, you can adapt much quicker. Yeah, The data set is much clearer. Even if you want to change a custodian or, or change a partner, it's much quicker. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there, is a, there is a huge advantage behind that. Um, yes, it mm-hmm. costs something, but if you're looking at having a flexible strategy, um, I think it's the only way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does uh, trade process control offer
1: an integration layer for internal and third party applications, utilities and services?
2: Well, especially because a lot of uh, organizations do not use those standards. yeah, or. They might, you know, actually have both, right? So if you're looking at a standard like Swift, you obviously want to include things like their authentication systems. You want to make sure that they're, you know, you're you're coherent with their exception management systems and all those things. Um, If you're looking at other ones that follow that route less, then obviously you need to be able to integrate their data from where they get it from. And that's often in a proprietary format. And if we look at the ones that have multiple trading systems, multiple portfolio management systems, multiple payment systems, then you're talking about the capability to adapt to multiple different types of formats. So you need to have that integration layer um, in order to cater for everybody. And again, one of our biggest paramounts has always been to have a standardized product. So you offer those as standard integration layers so that you can let everyone benefit from it whilst keeping it sustainable in the future when you do upgrades and things like that so Mm -hmm. it it does play a big role to have that flexibility built into the system Mm -hmm.
1: and and how does trade process control help firms improve uh, their regulatory compliance uh, operations
2: Well, I mean, first of all, obviously, what we deal is in in verifying data, doing the compliance to make sure, as an example, your depots at the end of the day, they're all checked and and in sync. Um, The same thing with your transactions. They're all checked and in sync, which you need out of an audit and compliance thing. And that definitely, if you don't have that, very difficult to get a license. (laughs) Um, You need to prove it as an organization you can do that. But then again, we see also the new regulations coming. So if you look at something like CSDR, which is now being implemented currently in Europe, so anyone who is trading European stocks is affected by this. They're introducing a a system where you have to pay penalties for late settlement, as an example. Now that seems all very logical. Um, What a lot of people might not have realized is you also pay penalties for early settlement. And so the drive behind that regulation is to get people to move to doing things in real time. They don't want it early, they don't want it late. They want it in real time. And so we already see that regular taking that very first step to say, well, you guys have got to make sure that if you settle an equity, it's done on time. And we will gradually see that window close and close and close and close Mm -hmm. because that brings also more security into the market yeah Um, and that also generates more customer interest if they know that you don't you know it doesn't take for ages and ever in order to process an order so i think both in terms of past regulation but also in future regulation we will see that yes the focus will be to move everyone to that instant world and the regulator will want that but obviously but it's de-risked so it has to be done in a controlled environment yeah and you have to place the right controls on top of that so yes um we improve that by doing that in real time and again we make sure there are much less breaks because as you are going through those different life uh, stages of the life cycle, if you're eliminating the previous life cycle from errors, then the next one is much less prone to error. And again and again, and that is the difficulty of it. If you have those in separate silos, then you might have someone fixing an error very early on, but he doesn't do it fast enough. So you get a following error then in the later stage of the the life cycle, which creates a problem, creates work, you lose time, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely that's how we're helping improve that. We're just trying to take them on a journey by taking what they do existing and moving that into a much more advanced stage.
1: Yeah, And then of course in the United States, there's the push for, uh, yet again, for an even shorter settlement system. Absolutely. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're well aware of that. And, Uh, it seems like anything, anything that would help, um, tighten, (laughs) tighten the process would be very much appreciated by firms that want, want to meet that shorter settlement cycle. Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, up until now, we've all been sort of like, you know, we've gone away from T plus three and T plus two. We're mostly on T plus one or T plus zero. Um, Some of us have already moved to that, but we're not in real time yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where it has to go ultimately. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, T plus zero, you could say, well, you know, I start in the morning and by the end of the day, I just have to have it settled. Yes. That's definitely admirable. Ideally, if I start off something, I would like it settled five minutes later, right? Mm -hmm. That would be where you want to go, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it would be, if we don't go in that direction, it's like if you were going shopping on Amazon and you buy something or you want to buy something, they then suddenly send you a message and say, oh, well, hang on, um, we'll, we'll tell you this evening if we can actually give it to you. Mm-hmm. Well, that happens. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? That's that's few and far between, and, and that is just not what the client of today will expect in the future. Mm-hmm. All right, great.
1: Thank you. I'm very glad we got time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
2: And again, yeah. thank you for the award.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange Podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange Podcast.